I'm Jen Spencer. And I'm John Russo. And you're listening to the B2B MX podcast. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the season two premiere of the BWMX podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, and I'm thrilled to have on the show with me, Claudia Tarico, my friend, colleague, and our esteemed editor of Demand Gen Report. Claude, welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Alicia. It's definitely an honor to be here. I had so much fun recording that season one finale with you, so I'm really excited to be part of this entire new season to come. Yeah, excellent. So as you all may gather, Claudia is officially the co-host for this podcast moving forward. We had so much fun talking shop um, that we're going to make this an ongoing conversation, especially in light of all of the new trends, new realities that we're facing as an industry. As for this season, a few things to expect uh, for you all listening out there. Of course, we're going to be bringing back some of our top rated sessions from the 2020 B2 be marketing exchange, but we're also going to be having some new conversations with influencers, thought leaders in the space, again, around how we can take some of the key trends, you know, spotlighted at the event and in the industry itself, and how B2B brands and B2B marketers are adapting and refining their approaches as a result of the new reality surrounding coronavirus, the fact that We're all now working remotely. We're all digital. And also the fact that we're navigating some business disruption as well, whether it be reduced headcount, reallocating budgets, slash budgets, um, I think across the board. And Claude, I'd love your take here. You know, there are a lot of new uh, factors that organizations have to consider um, as we as we continue on through the new year. Yeah, absolutely. The COVID-19 crisis, you know, uh, at first it was just, oh, all of these events are getting canceled or postponed. But then it escalated so quickly into something much greater than that. And now marketers are really having to shift strategies and reallocate those budgets um, to adhere to this new reality. So, yeah, these will definitely be topics we'll we'll cover throughout the season. So I'm really excited to learn more from some of our guests. Uh, But, yeah, to kick things off today, um, I'm really looking forward to looking back at some of the general key takeaways from B2BMX um, and how we're taking those insights and pivoting them to adhere to our new world. So I'm really excited. Let's get it going. Yeah, absolutely. We have two uh, friends and speakers of B2BMX joining us for the conversation, John Russo and Jen Spencer. I'm sure everyone listening knows of them or you know relies on them for insights and best practices. So we were thrilled to get the chance to sit down with them and um, get their take on the event itself and you know how B2B marketers may be adapting or uh, following through on, on some of the trends that we covered at the event. So sit back, relax, and listen in, and hopefully you'll get some, not just inspiration, but uh, tactical takeaways that you can apply to your strategy moving forward. All right. Welcome, everyone. We're going to kick off season two of the B2B MX podcast with two very close friends of uh, the Demand Gen Report family. We have uh, with us today John Russo and Jen Spencer on the pod. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Alicia, thank you for having me. 
I thought to kick things off, you know, obviously, we know you both very well. But for those who may be listening, who may not know who you are, the work that you do with B2B organizations, why don't you give folks a little bit of a teaser? John, how about you kick us off? Sure thing, Alicia. And thanks again for having us. My name is John Russo. I'm founder of B2B Fusion. We're in the business of optimizing systems and business processes so marketers can get quick, measurable results. We've done about 100 plus account-based marketing optimizations for our clients, typically SaaS-based clients that are in FinServe, high-tech, healthcare, and that's our primary focus today. Thanks again for having us. Great. Jen? I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Smartbug Media. We're an intelligent inbound marketing agency, primarily helping our clients with their revenue growth goals around the areas of demand generation, as well as brand creative and their website presence. We were HubSpot's Global Partner of the Year in 2018, and we work with over 100 clients on Retainer operating inside of systems like HubSpot and Marketo to serve as an extension of their team. Great. Well, again, thank you both so much for taking the time out to speak with Claudia and I. We're going to cover a lot of ground, I think, and you're both so appropriate to uh, be on the show with us because of your diverse backgrounds and, and your vast expertise. So with that, let's dig right in. Obviously, it's been a little bit more than a month since B2BMX, and a lot has changed since then. We'll, of course, get into that and some of the new realities we're facing. But first, uh, we thought it'd be good to just kind of look back now that we're in season two already thinking about the year ahead, you know, kind of looking back on what happened at the event. So uh, what really rose to the top for you both in terms of the key trends and topics? Because we, of course, always have an idea going in of what we want folks to get out of the event experience and what trends to focus on. But of course, as you know, the content comes to life and the event actually happens, sometimes it, it kind of evolves. So curious to hear what you guys see rise to the top. Jen, how about you start? Yeah, I I love B2BMX. It's one of my favorite events of the year because I do feel like I get to put my finger on the pulse of what others are doing in the marketing and sales world throughout really North America, mostly. But it was interesting this year, I felt like more than ever before, there was this focus on back to basics, back to fundamentals, where in the past, everyone was trying to kind of try something new and really expand. But every conversation I had, had this again, like this back to basics, in some cases, redefining what an MQL means, what an SQL means, or looking at strategic account management to ensure that you have really good alignment from marketing to sales to customer success. And then even at like the much more enterprise level, organizations creating these centers of excellence because of all of these marketing teams that are feeling siloed as the companies have grown so much over the last couple of years. So that was like one of my my big takeaways from the event this year. I love that back to basics concept. John, how about you? What were you Yeah, saying? I think I saw two different themes and I'm trying to think back. I've been to seven or eight of these now, and this was by far the largest one and actually hopefully not the last one. It was the first of 2020 in terms of physical events. I'm hoping that B2B SMX kicks off in the summertime period. But the two areas that jumped out, one was hybrid ABM and demand gen, where a lot of companies seem to be addicted to the demand generation model of the frequency and the lead model, kind of the old serious 2.0 model. 
yet they're dabbling quite a bit in account-based marketing. And you were starting to hear a lot of those trends of people uh, putting their toes very deep into that water of ABM, but still keeping a foot on that demand gen pedal at the same time. In fact, there was one panel that I participated in toward the very end of the conference where the audience was super engaged on uh, the conversation around that hybrid ABM and demand gen. The other theme that I really walked away with was intent data. And I felt like that while it was a buzzword maybe a year or two ago, operationalizing intent for growth in the conference really came about in a number of different presentations and even in the informal conversation. Those would be the two things that really popped out in this this conference. Great. I love that. So in terms of the conversations that you both may be having with organizations in your day to day, right? And I'm sure there is some variance depending on the maturity of the company or the industry that they're in, or even the industry of their customers, their buyers. But how do, how do these trends that, that you both called out, both pretty different, I feel like different ends of the spectrum, how do they align with the conversations you're actually having? Like, do you think that it was a fair reflection as far as the new realities that B2B marketers and B2B organizations are tasked to navigate today? Or is there a bit of a pivot? And again, we'll kind of get into the current situation with COVID. But, you know, I, I have to ask whether it, it aligns fully in context of what, what we're seeing day to day, you know, that, that's happening within the B2B sphere. I don't, I don't know, John, I know you have a lot of conversations with folks. It, it, does it align well with what you're, you're talking about with clients and prospects? Yeah, it does. It, it really uh, hits it pretty well. And I think if you look at um, other conferences that we participate in, what I like about this is there's a lot of hands-on practical experience and expertise that's shared. And the different tracks, by breaking it out in different tracks, be it ABM, demand gen, or content, you can really self-pace as to where you want to head and where you want to go. And because the content is practical, it's not some theoretical framework that, you know, might resonate or might not, depending on your company. I thought that was particularly valuable. And then the other thing that I found valuable, which I hadn't really given much thought to, but was really highlighted in the conference, was the differences now that we have in terms of who we're marketing to. So for example, there was a panel that talked about millennial marketing and it really made me pause and think about the different generations that are in the workforce today and how stratifying a message, even at that different level of buyer and how they operate or how others operate, really becomes a very important point for marketers to be thinking about. So I would give it high marks and high regards in terms of how things were aligned in the conference to what we actually see and hear on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I love that looking at through the context of, you know, the buyer themselves or even the committee that they're faced to navigate and, you know, interact and collaborate with throughout that decision making process. We definitely, I think, heard a lot of mentions of that during this year's event. Jen, how how about you? I know you you talked a lot about going back to basics, the fundamentals. Are you seeing a, a greater emphasis on that in the conversations that you're having? Definitely. And it all goes back to 
you know, some of what John was just touching on and, and what you're referencing when it comes to those buyer personas and really understanding that target audience and having that really well documented and building a strategy from there versus kind of jumping in with sales tactics and then looking to like follow up with some marketing support. So those back to basics for me are like the core fundamental aspects of what you need for a successful demand generation campaign from a marketing perspective. And I think what's hanging over all of this, and this was really even like pre-COVID, right? I had observed, and I had observed this among our clients, among prospects I talked to on a regular basis, my peers, and then it was just validated tenfold at BDB MX this year, is marketers have been in this pressure cooker now, like more than ever before, where the expectations that are placed on their shoulders for delivering pipeline and tracking every effort back to revenue, those demands are stronger than, than they ever were before. Part of it's because we have awesome technology. We have you know better technology that's able to provide us with those data points. And now everything that any marketer does is being tracked and, and you're able to analyze all those results, which is really cool and really exciting. But if you jumped into technology without having a firm strategy in place, then you're going to really drown, right? And it's going to be hard to answer some of those really critical questions that executive teams and board members are asking. And so that's what I think has driven people to that back to basics place because they maybe jumped into a, a situation where they threw technology, they threw software at a problem instead of starting with strategy. I love that too, because I mean, we hear it all the time. Everybody wants that shiny new toy, right? But then they dive into it. And at the end of the day, it's just like so much more data coming in and then they don't know what to do with it. And, you know, there's some gaps and, and things like that. So I definitely agree that taking the focus back to the strategy and what the actual, I guess, what the actual uh, audience is and what they're looking for before, you know, diving into any kind of technology is definitely key here. And B2B MX, you know, we try to have as many practitioners take the stage and share their success stories. And obviously, you know, our audience takes a lot of lessons learned back to their offices on content strategy, demand generation, and ABM and things like that. So were there any stories that inspired you personally or helped kind of helped you uncover new ideas or opportunities for you in your own kind of personal and professional life? John, let's start with you. Yeah, Claudia, great question. And I definitely think that there was at least one that triggered some thought around direct mail as it relates to account-based marketing. And usually you hear direct mail as a tactic, but I think the story that Kathy Mammon mentioned as part of the millennial panel, where she talked about a vendor sending her a very personalized gift based on something that really resonated with her core values. She mentioned at that point in time, she was a little bit further down on the funnel process of buying this particular product. You never want to say it's a quid pro quo, but it certainly really reinforced the strong emotional attachment of her making this eventual technology purchase to the actual direct mail piece. In fact, I had a follow-up conversation with uh, Sendoso, Shruti at Sendoso, and we talked a lot about the different areas that direct mail could potentially be leveraged within account-based marketing models and what she was seeing and trends that we were seeing as well. And we're kind of comparing and contrasting. So I think that 
kind of message from Kathy in her panel really, really resonated and and made me pause a lot more on direct mail than maybe perhaps anything else that I heard in the conference. Interesting. Yeah. We, you know, direct mail has been huge for quite some time now, but I'm seeing so many unique ideas and strategies from different practitioners lately, even in this current situation that we're in right now, given all of the, you know, event cancellations and and things like that, people are actually really turning to, you know, obviously people are turning to a virtual environment, a virtual event and things like that. But I've also heard stories where people are turning to, you know, or bringing their budgets over to direct mail to kind of start some conversations, obviously virtually with prospects who they would have wanted to kind of speak with, let's say at a, you know, at their booth at an event. So I feel like direct mail is definitely not going anywhere for sure. Jen, how about you? Were there any success stories or lessons learned that really helped you uncover new ideas and opportunities? Do you know what? I was unbelievably inspired by Tamsin Webster's keynote. And I'm saying that with like a little bit of shock and awe, not because I don't think she's amazing, but because I've heard her speak a number of times and I know her kind of her talk track, but there was something about the session that she provided on getting that yes. And something about her approach to storytelling and pulling in this idea of who is the person that you're solving a problem for and how do you speak their language? How do you align your company's story and your value proposition with their needs in a way that is going to make it appetizing for them to consume? It makes me go back to, you know, John had mentioned this hybrid inbound ABM strategy that we're seeing that I I absolutely love because I firmly believe you cannot have one without the other. And they really do go hand in hand. And so when Tamsin was talking about the way that you organize content and the way that you structure things so that it feels like a story and your buyers are part of that story. And in some places, they're the hero of that story. That to me, it set off so many bright lights and and sparks uh, in my mind of ways that I can better be supporting my marketing team, giving better direction to my sales team and how we can better help our clients. Just remembering that there are all these different personalities and there's all these different sometimes egos and desires that are involved, being aware of that and conscious of it and building it into the story that you tell versus trying to kind of force someone into the story you want to tell. To me, it was like the perfect keynote for BDBMX and any other session that I would walk into, I had that with you know, in the back of my mind as a lens that I was framing any other conversation with, whether we were talking about intent data, ABM, direct mail, you know, as as an example, I was thinking back to to Tamsin's uh, advice on kind of getting that green light. I love that. And that's really what B2BMX is all about. I mean, all events for that matter, you know, it's just about taking, you know, all these inspirational insights and then kind of seeing how they flow with all these forward looking trends and things like that. And just having that tangible evidence around what tactics will be, should be prioritized or will kind of lead strategies throughout the rest of the year. 
But yeah, going back to, I don't want to say like elephant in the room, but we're obviously navigating this kind of new norm right now with budgets being allocated or stalled and all these different you know strategies being pivoted to different directions and, and things like that. So how will all of this impact B2B's evolution through 2020? Jen, we'll kick it back right out to you. Oh, I where's my crystal ball, right? <laughs> the only thing that's kind of known is just there's going to be so much unknown. But I think looking at B2B organizations, you know, from now kind of the end of end of 2020, I think we're we're seeing organizations fall into sort of one of three buckets, right? There's there's organizations that where their marketing efforts are focused on survival, frankly. And then there's this kind of second tier. And those organizations are focused on adapting to a new environment, right? When all of you've been focused on event marketing and using events for demand generation, which can be really effective, and that's cut off, what do you do next? And frankly, we can't all just switch to virtual events. I mean, I'm already exhausted by the number of virtual event invitations that I'm getting. You know, so so there, that that's that's a reality, right? We have to look for where there's blue ocean. And then there's organizations that actually have an opportunity to grow and thrive because they help solve a problem for the rest of the world. And, you know, without getting into too much detail there, I think there's a different strategy that we're going to be facing, like for each one of those kind of three overarching buckets that I mentioned. But regardless, budgets are going to be looked at with more scrutiny than ever before. Shorter kind of commitments. And before we do anything, understanding kind of what are those smart goals and when will we know if this has worked for us and being able to iterate and and react. And so for larger organizations that aren't used to being very agile and nimble, they're going to struggle a bit. It's actually the smaller organizations or the ones that have more agile mechanisms built into their marketing teams that I think have an opportunity to really thrive, you know, even in this challenging environment. I love that. And I love how you mentioned being exhausted from all of the virtual event invites. Somebody actually, it was a conversation I had uh, last week, or even I think it might have also been like another virtual event where somebody was just like, beware of webinar fatigue, because that's, that's, it's going to happen. We're going to have this webinar fatigue where we're just getting bombarded with all of these different events and things like that, and definitely could get tiring. So trying to figure out that multi-channel and trying to be unique in the sense where, you know, if you don't want to have virtual event, there are still other multi-channel and different multimedia options out there as well. John, how about you? What are you seeing how all of this is going to impact B2B's evolution for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I love Jen's answer, by the way. And I think today we're recording on April 8th, March 8th, a month ago, I would have given you a completely different answer than I would today. But in today's world, we definitely see a lot of companies doing scenario planning, the what if. What if revenue doesn't grow by 20%? What if it decreases by 20% or 40%? We're seeing a lot of what if type scenarios. And as a result, that's primarily driven by the revenue. It kind of cascades down into a couple different directions. One, marketers have, as you guys have already acknowledged, they've had to make some hard decisions. And some of those hard decisions were either on headcount that they were going to hire that have at least now been temporarily frozen or on the events where they've tried to pivot from physical events to virtual events. 
they're basically having to get their dollars working harder than ever before to generate that same demand. And so that in and of itself is a very unique element. As Jen mentioned, and I think this cascades down from the VC world because the VC world's very conditioned to say, oh, cut marketing in a bad environment. Well, it's a lot different now. And I would actually push back a little bit on that viewpoint in that marketers actually can drive revenue. And in this environment where everybody's working from home, marketing becomes a whole lot more relevant and a whole lot more important because you can reach out and electronically touch your prospects that don't necessarily need to be in an office. That can be in any any location. But on the flip side of that, CFOs are being very, very sensitive right now to any kind of spend. So unless it has a tangible, immediate, definable, defensible ROI, an expense right now for marketing is going to get a whole lot more scrutiny than it ever has before. So marketers, I think, are really challenged to get the most bang for the dollar. I also see marketers taking this as an opportunity. And the smart companies are, or I don't want to say smart companies, but companies that are positioning themselves well, because this will not last forever. This will be a period of time or a moment in time. They're taking this time to invest in systems and processes to fix and repair the fundamentals that Jen was mentioning, so that when we emerge from this temporary downturn, they will emerge a lot stronger. So there are some companies that are investing that energy to get in better shape. And now is the best time to be doing that. Gosh, you both shared such great insights. And I feel like if we peeled back all of the layers of that onion, we'd be having a two-hour long conversation. So between you know a lot of these facets, these realities that you both shared, so greater scrutiny of marketing from a finance perspective, having to stand out amidst all of the people trying to hop on, you know, the digital event or webinar bandwagon in order to reallocate or pivot successfully, that need for agility. And also, I think I think one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about, especially from a strategy and messaging perspective, is how much do we put ourselves front and center in this current conversation, right? I mean, we've all seen the emails, the social outreach around, you know, a company's stake or positioning around how they're handling COVID-19, which, you know, in some cases makes sense, in other cases, maybe not so much. And I, I think there's so many facets, so many areas right now that marketing needs to juggle, needs to consider, not just for the short term, but the long term, John, as you kind of referred to. So this may be difficult to, to distill into, you know, a set of key points or recommendations. But I mean, as far as just, you know, offering everyone listening a starting point, maybe, maybe some key questions they should be asking, how can they determine where to place their bets or where to prioritize right now? How can they determine whether they should be focusing on, you know, a short term pivot, trying to get in front of their audience around something that's timely and relevant to to their buyers or think more long-term? I know that was a lot to unpack, but I mean, really, you're just trying to offer some guidance to everyone listening that that is navigating, you know, this new reality, all, all of these different pressures. 
Jen, do you have any thoughts? I do. I do. So if you could kind of go back to those three different buckets that I'm, I'm placing companies in, I think my recommendation would be if you look among kind of the industries that you serve, if you have industries that you would put into their in survival ro- mode right now, and if you can, if you don't have to sell to that subset, right, if you've got kind of a broader market, I would put those on hold right? Like we've had some vertical strategies that we were in the midst of, and we actually had to just press, we decided to press pause on them because it was, even if we adjusted the messaging a little bit, it would still come across as being extremely tone deaf, right? So I think you have to take a really good look at who that market is. And you may have to just put, again, like just put some things on pause, or maybe your marketing messaging is much more helpful, much more, you know, hopefully all your messaging is always helpful and value-based, but maybe it's, you lean into like a hundred percent helpful value-based right now and recognize that they're probably not going to have time to be consuming your emails, listening to your podcasts, attending your webinars, because they're, frankly, they're in survival mode, right? So I think that's just something we have to recognize. That doesn't mean that you cannot be marketing to and selling to other other industries, right? Like not everybody is in that survival mode. So what I'm hearing among kind of some of the technology partners that we have, my sales team, other sales teams, marketing campaigns that are performing really well from our client services team, it's acknowledgement, right? It's acknowledgement of the experience that we're all sharing. The The one thing about what we're all going through is we're literally all going through it together. So there's something to be said about that and creating a sense of community. So I think if you have an opportunity to do that with some of your messaging and to help be a thought leader and teach people how to function moving forward, this is a really great, it's a really great time to kind of lean into that and and really lead in this time right now. I love that. And I love, you know, I love seeing the companies that are placing big bets, are taking deep dives, trying something new that maybe, you know, they were thinking about doing, but there's always something holding them back. I mean, in times like these, times of uncertainty and, and almost like a, what do we have to lose? It's been interesting to see not just that type of action, but the response from the community, Jen, to your point, I, I think there is something to be said that everyone's kind of operating with a bit more empathy, understanding, not just trying to understand, you know, your audience on that deeper level to find out the best way to communicate with them, to serve them at this time. But, um, you know, as peers, right? I mean, marketing to marketers is difficult typically, but now it seems like we're all kind of uh, corralling around each other and trying to support each other, which is great. John, how about you? Any tips, any questions you think marketers should be asking as they try to forge their path forward? Yeah, I think everything that both of you said, Alicia, with you and Jennifer, uh, hits the nail right on the head. One, you want to be empathetic for the situation. I think if I were to highlight another area that you talked about, but I would really maybe double click into would be act and don't necessarily sit back and wait. And why I double click into that is the environment, I think, four months from now or six months from now it's never going to return back to what we used to think it was. It's going to be different on the other side of this. We don't know what that different looks like yet. And by acting and not sitting back, you're getting constant feedback and calibrating your message, your approach, your channel, 
you have a chance to really test and learn, test and learn, test and learn, be that thought leader. But at the same time, you're learning in that process. So when we do emerge on the other end, you're emerging in a much stronger position than sitting back and thinking that things will return to normal and then acting. And I think the last thing that Jen mentioned, which I violently agree with, is now is the time to be helpful. Maybe it's not something that you're directly making revenue from. Maybe it's connecting your customers in a peer group setting. Maybe it's a way to make introductions to your network. You have to think of creative ways to add value to a conversation and be helpful, which will come across as empathetic as well, because everybody's really struggling. The hard part about that is there's a lot of pressure to grow top line. So there's a fine line of being helpful and growing the top line revenue. But I think if you don't come across helpful, the risk is you become too self-serving and you get tuned out. So empathy, acting, and helping would be the three key things that I would focus on. If I could jump in and add one more thing that, you know, John, just to kind of jog my memory here of something that I thought was interesting. I am seeing that there is a whole lot more value right now that's being placed on those closed lost deals or like folks who went dark all of a sudden. And we should always have value placed there, right? Like we should always be focused on how do we continue to nurture people who are even in an opportunity stage with us in the most appropriate way? And how do we address kind of some of the sales notes we have and feed that back into marketing? But all of a sudden you start looking, you know, CEOs are looking at their CRM, they're looking at, you know, all of the pipeline of all of the the deals that have been closed, lost and going, wow, like all of a sudden that customer acquisition cost, that number is like really bold and bright because those marketing teams probably spent a great deal of money to try to secure those opportunities. And so my hope is that because I've talked to so many different marketing leaders who tell me, yeah, I don't, I don't nurture. Once something becomes an opportunity, then it gets passed over to sales and we don't nurture them anymore. And sales doesn't want us to. And it makes me cringe. I just, it, you shouldn't nurture them. Like there are a brand new, like net new lead who you just met, but that's why you need to have a strategy for, for nurturing. And so my hope is that moving forward, this becomes part of a new normal. And I think that's actually, that's a really good thing that could come out of all of this. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever messaging and things like that, even for those who have might've ghosted a sales rep or anything like that, at the end of the day, how you position your messaging and and how empathetic you are, the buyer is going to remember that when, when the time does eventually come to kind of, you know, make either make a purchase or, or shift strategies around. So those are awesome points all around. I'm curious personally, just to hear how both of you are actually navigating this new reality you know, what's bringing you peace of mind? What's bringing you clarity or productivity at this time? How are you kind of handling this current situation that we're in? Jen, let's start with you. Oh, this new reality. Oh, man. Um, I It's been a roller coaster, you know, to be honest, an emotional ro- roller coaster. And I, I definitely have my, my highs and lows. But I'm very grateful that I work for an organization that actually we've always been for the last 10 plus years. We've been 100% remote. So I remind myself to be grateful for the fact that not only do I work for an organization with an organization that 
has the ability to be remote, but it's something that we live on a regular basis. And actually through, you know, what we've learned through our processes, we're able to help teach others. So we've got some of our clients that are coming to us and asking, you know, for our advice on some of the best practices that we've learned over the last 10, 10 or so years. So that's been great. So just kind of remembering um, that place of gratitude. And the other thing is, I always find a lot of clarity in having focus. So one of the things I struggle with the most is having too many ideas and really needing to prioritize them. And they're not, none of them are bad ideas, right? But some are better than others at a specific period of time. So what's really bringing me and my team, that kind of peace and clarity and productivity is having a very focused goal, focusing on very specific verticals, very specific messages. And that kind of structure has been very energizing. So uh, I've, I've been appreciating that through this world that we're in right now. I love that. John, what about you? How's life over there? What are you seeing? What, what's inspiring you? What's keeping you productive? What's going on over there? Yeah, great question, Claudia. Uh, on the peace side, you know, now I've got a legitimate excuse not to see my in-laws. So there's a lot of peace in my life right now. Uh, just kidding about that. I love that. <laughs> now that I love my in-laws. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, it's been a process. I think, as Jen said, it definitely has been a process. I've been avoiding all the news um, altogether, but it took me a process to get there. When I first started, I was tuned in a lot and I, I realized that it was actually impacting me. Our organization all works remotely, so it really hasn't impacted the organization as a whole. But what I have found that has helped me is I've really tried to dig into a couple other resources that have been helpful to think about change. And one was Michael Hammer wrote a book back, I mean, it was ages ago, I think it was in the 90s, called Reengineering Corporation, an excellent read on how organizations kind of met the modern day reorganization for then a lot of changes in terms of market conditions that we're going through now. And I've also um, got a colleague that, uh, believe it or not, is a Vietnam POW, Vietnam vet, that talked a lot about adversity and how he handled adversity where the end wasn't necessarily known. And there were a surprising number of parallels. And I think just hearing other stories about how other people have gone through times like these have helped me kind of get better clarity and an understanding of where we are in today's historical environment. So I don't have a silver bullet. I mean, uh, every day here in New Jersey, something more gets limited. We're not able to uh, do a lot of things, but what we are able to do is walk around the neighborhood. So, you know, I'm doing that. I think I've got a burned in path now around the neighborhood and doing local exercises, but they've really cut back quite a bit in terms of going to parks or hiking or biking which I did two or three weeks ago, but now, you know, that's, that's slowly going away. So I do think it's also important to kind of keep active despite all of that, just to kind of burn off and, and keep your mind occupied outside of work and outside of webinars and outside of marketing and reconnect with family. So I guess a lot of things, I guess a, I don't have a very clear answer here, but a lot of things I'm trying to do to, to, to keep moving forward. Awesome. And I mean, speaking of things to get your mind off work and webinars and, and all that stuff, what are you binge watching? Are you watching anything good? Anything good on Netflix going on over there? Uh, good question. Uh, probably better question for Jen, because as my kids laughed at me the other night, I don't know how to operate Netflix on my TV. 
I'm real. I'm in a high tech former CMO, and I have no idea how to operate Netflix because I just don't watch. I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of sports though, which obviously have been paused. So I'm probably not the best to answer that one. Oh, that's okay. My my dad was telling me he only watches. Um, he's a big hockey fan. He's a big New York Rangers fan. So I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? What are, are you watching? And he's just like, I'm just watching all old hockey games. I was like, Wow, people watch old hockey games. That's great. <laughs> anything to pass the time, Jen? How about you? What are you binge watching? Have you uh, watched anything good lately? Yes. So I never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm when it was on. And it's funny, my my CEO, he's like, Jen, you have like a while ago, he's like, you have to promise me, you have to promise me that you're going to binge watch this because it's totally your sense of humor. And so I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I'm like, uh, I think just watch the finale of season three. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, uh, Larry David, he'd probably, he'd do pretty, pretty well in quarantine. It's actually best if he just stays inside and doesn't talk to anybody, keeps running into problems every time he tries to interact. So it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been fun and light, you know, just like something, uh, something to laugh at. I've been enjoying that. I love that. I don't, de- that's definitely been on my list for quite some time. I haven't seen it either, but now that Shit's Creek, unfortunately, is now officially over. The last episode finally aired. I think it's time for me to to get onto the Curb Your Enthusiasm bandwagon for sure. Well, this has been great, Jen. John, thank you again so much for taking the time out for talking a little shop with us. I know we got pretty deep into some of the uh, uncertainties that we're all facing, but as we all kind of talked about today in our conversation, it's been really enlightening to see this rising community, having the opportunity to be able to pivot creatively, challenge ourselves personally, and also be there for our peers and our colleagues in completely new and different ways. So hopefully in a few weeks, maybe we'll be able to circle back and reconnect, see how everything evolves, maybe even shakes out. But for now, thank you both so much for taking the time out to speak with us and and look back on B2BMX and a little bit into what may be to come. It's been great. Thanks, Alicia. Thanks, Claudia. Thank you both. Oh, man, that was such a great conversation, Alicia. And honestly, it really, really rounded out all of the trends and even the conversations that I'm having on the editorial side of Demand Gen Report and how everyone is dealing with this new normal. So this was definitely a great conversation to kick things off this season. Yeah, I agree, Claudia. It definitely rings true, I think, with a lot of the content that I'm reading, a lot of the conversations that I'm having with other B2B marketers. And I loved Jen's emphasis on, you know, pausing, almost getting back to basics in terms of prioritizing strategy. Who are we speaking to? What resonates with them? It it really, I think, drives home the importance of empathy and more human-to-human marketing, which is so exciting to see rise to the top. Absolutely. And now that you mentioned the concept of uh, going back to basics again, I kind of wanted to highlight an upcoming event from Demand Gen Report that I think our audience would definitely be into. Um, It's called the Campaign Optimization Series, and we're going to be sharing a ton of inspiration and examples of how brands are going back to basics and really adapting their messages and models across multiple channels in this new normal. Um, We specifically kind of shifted the curriculum to really provide a glimpse into how brands are pivoting their programs these days. So everyone, please check out the campaign optimization series coming up in May. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to put a note in our show notes to include that link to register. So definitely encourage that. And of course, if you have any feedback on this episode or any ideas on topics, 
topics you want to hear about, guests you want to have on the podcast, feel free to follow us um, on Twitter and, and share your thoughts uh, with the B2BMX account. It's at B2BMX. Um, and of course, as always, everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed to the pod already, I encourage you to do so um, through your preferred podcast player. We have a great season coming up, great content, great guests, and a lot of great conversations. Thanks to my new co-host, Claudia, for joining me. And uh, thanks everyone out there for listening. Take care.